Hello, I'm Dr. Jesse L. Grice, founder and uh, senior pastor of Truvine Baptist Church. It's my heart as we welcome you. I welcome you, and I praise God uh, that you will get something from it and bless your life. And in Jesus' name, we love you. Was it the nails that held him? It was love for me and you that held him on the cross. It doesn't seem like you're really excited about this. Amen. I can have him do it again if you want me to. Amen. But we enjoy, we just praise God for all that he's doing. And we know he's going to do even more. Pray with me for a moment. Father, thank you for the day. And as they were singing, Father, it wasn't the nails that held you to the cross. You wanted to be there so that you can bless us, save us, and we give you glory. Now touch, O oh God, these thy people and bless them. Bless this your servant, Lord. Think with my mind and speak with my mouth that which you want to say to these thy people and bless them. And we thank you, Father, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I like the folk over there because they were... I don't know about the people over here. Oh, let me hear something. Amen. What a blessing. Today, we just thank God for the time that we can be together for just a little bit as we worship in the Word of God. Today, we want to come from Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. So if you have your Bible, your electronic device with your Bible on it, no texting, amen, Mark 14, verses 32 through 42. And you that are streaming with us, uh, whether you're at home or vacation, be with us in Mark 14, 13, I'm sorry, 32 to 42. Amen. You got it? Amen. You got it? Amen. All right. Amen. I just want to know if you're here. All right. Mark says, then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that it were possible the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. And sometimes we are like that as well. He finds us asleep again. We don't want to be asleep. We want to be right where he is and blessing. That was a Holy Ghost moment, so I had to stop and make sure we was all on it. Amen. 
And I don't want to make any excuses because that won't be possible. But you know, the enemy of God and God's people will do anything to stop you from doing what God wants you to do. Let me finish, if you will. And when he returned, he found them asleep again. For their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise! Let us be going. See? My betrayer is at hand. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, hearing, and doing of his word. You may take your seat. Millions have thronged this morning all over the world to go and pay homage to the risen Savior. But on the other hand, there are still millions more who are out jogging, going to the golf course, praise Jesus. All kinds of other activities. I'm not saying you can't jog. I'm not saying you can't go and hit that little white ball. But I am saying that we ought to know that God will have us to come and give glory to him as we come to worship our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm glad that you're here. I'm glad that I'm able to stand before you and share what God would have me to share. Before I go any further, I want you to uh, give a great hand of applause, not right now, to our special guest, but really, she's not special. She's one of us. She just lives in a different place. She blessed us yesterday. She blessed us this morning. And she blessed us today. None other than Siobhan Williams. Come on, dear. Stand on up. Amen. I got to tell this story. You don't mind, do you, Lagalia? Okay, thanks. <laughs> she said, Pastor, can I use her again today? <laughs> Dr. Richard says, of course. Watch her here. Use her up. <laughs> Amen. But I'm so glad she came. And she blessed us. And I'm so very thankful for her love for us and for this body of Christ. You know, some people think that it's boring coming to church. I heard somebody over here, yeah. They said, oh, yeah. <laughs> but it's not. We know it's an awesome time to come and worship the Lord. So let's go on with it. You know, as Jesus shares communion with his disciples and, and afterwards, he tells them at verse 27, all of you will be made to stumble because of me. This night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. He tells them plainly that he will die on the cross and will rise from the dead and later meet them over in Galilee. Now Mark takes us to the garden in Gethsemane where we are eavesdropping on the Savior's prayer. You know, someone had on a church sign, if Jesus prayed, we ought to pray. 
Y'all didn't get that. If Jesus had to pray, we ought to pray. And I'm talking about you that know Jesus as Savior. And I believe that if, when, when the people of God began to pray and be consistent, there will be a revolution in the church because God will be working things out. Why? Because he want to hear from his people. So let's let him hear from us and begin to pray. Jesus' prayer in the garden was not the prayer of a weak and fearful man. He knew all along what, they, what lay before him in Jerusalem. He was not afraid of the physical suffering and death. As we read the scriptures, it says, Father, not my will, but thy will be done. That's an awesome way to end your prayer. You know what you're saying when you say that? It, it, it has a semblance to writing a check, and all you do is sign it and let God fill in the amount. No, we're not talking about money, but we can. Amen. But we're going to go on. So let's look at the scripture once again. Then they came to the place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I pray. And now that we understand that we need to pray, we need to go even further than that uh, as we pray. But we're going to go here. In evidence... I'm sorry, it is evident from Scripture that prayer was a significant part of Jesus' life on the earth. Many of us will say, uh, well, let's, let's go and, and, and read this portion of Scripture that has the Lord's Prayer. But we are thinking about another piece of Scripture. That's not the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer is in John 17, where he prayed for us, prayed for his disciples, and prayed for all of those who will become Christians. And so we ought to pray. And since the Savior made prayer such an integral part of his life, shouldn't we do the same? Much more accomplished by the prayers of Jesus. What will we discover in that he became sin for us? Two, he became alienated to the Father or from the Father. He was obedient unto death. Let's look at the first one. He became sin for us. And I believe that people today do not understand what happened on the cross out there on Calvary. He paid a price that he did not owe. He paid a debt that he didn't owe. But he paid it willingly. He didn't pay it grumbling and complaining. He did it purposely. I've heard people say, well, I didn't ask him to go to the cross. I just said, I'm going to stand over here in case lightning strike and I will be a casualty. No, I, I didn't ask him, but I'm so glad that he did. I wouldn't be standing here if he hadn't gone to the cross. I don't know where I would be if he had not died for me. But I'm here to tell you that I'm glad. My friends, let me say this. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he made him, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That's, that's powerful. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to the disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. As his disciples followed their Lord, 
into the garden. They noticed his distress and anguish disposition in the way that he walked. You know, when something is happening to us, something dreadful is going wrong in our lives, we try to be strong. We, we try to be standing up and all of that. But those that are close to you, they can see what you're going through. And their hearts are tender toward you because they love you. These disciples, they love the Lord and they saw that in him, even as he walked, it's not the same way he walked uh, doing other things. It was a different kind of walk because he was distressed and he was going over in his mind. Do I have to go to the cross yet he knew that he had to go to the cross because that's why he came but it don't matter oh he was man and he was fully God but the human of him began to say I don't want to do it but father not my will but your will be done and my Jesus began to do all that he had to do to get there you see they noticed uh, his distress and anguish disposition and they prayed for him, I'm sure. Jesus says again that his soul is exceedingly sorrowful. I, I don't know about you, but if you've been going through some tough things, some things is just kind of you just kind of ride with, but other things are even more difficult. And so you begin to be sorrowful in your spirit, exceedingly sorrowful, even if you're going to die because it's so heavy. But I'm here to tell you today that if you got that working in your life, all you got to do is call on that name. The Bible said there's no other name under heaven given whereby we must be saved. He's not only the Savior. Some people may call him a miracle worker, but I want to call him Savior, Jesus. And sometimes you just can't pray like you want to pray. Sometimes you can't even say his whole two-syllable name, Jesus. But you get there so tired and wild, you begin to say, Gee, Gee. Because your soul is exceedingly sorrowful and you're calling on the Lord to come and work it out and he's coming. As the sister said in the song, he's an on time God. He may not come when you want him, but when he comes, he'll be right on time. Somebody ought to praise him. Jesus says again that his soul is sorrowful, exceedingly sorrowful. Jesus became sin for us. In verse 34, then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. I just wonder what are they watching for? You see, sometimes you have to watch, and I'll say it later, but in this case, they watch spiritually. They were watching for spiritual end. You know when you're trying to pray and you want God's attention, you want God to come and work it out, uh, your phone begin to ring. Somebody called you. You hit a little ding on your phone. Somebody just texts you a message. It just kind of messed with your concentration. You said they didn't have that, but they were blessed back then. They didn't have none of that stuff. But I would say for us, put your phone in the kitchen while you're in the bathroom. And go ahead and pray. Nobody bothers you while you're in the bathroom. Praise the Lord. And you have the light out and the door locked so they don't have to rig the door and try to get in. Mess up your prayer. As he entered the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus leaves eight of his disciples at the entrance of the garden. And the remaining three, Peter, James, and John, 
or invited to accompany him to a pre-selected place chosen for prayer. You know, God is an awesome God. He's a planner. And see, and we are in the image of God. Should we not be a planner? Should we not have the kind of attitude that Lord has a place already laid out for prayer? When we come to worship, we ought to come on time and we ought to be on time. We ought to preach on time and we ought to leave on time. Amen. And we'll, we'll all be blessed. You say, I wonder who the pastor mad at. I'm not mad at anybody. I'm, I'm just trying to let you know how it ought to be. And we're going to do it that way. You see, there's nothing like having those you trust around you as you pray. Isn't that awesome? He can depend on James, John, and, and Peter. He can depend on them, even though they were sleeping in the garden. He can depend on them to be with him when he's praying. It's awesome good when um, you've got brothers and sisters around you that are really real. They're genuine, and they love you, and they want to keep you lifted up. But I love the church of God. I love the people of God. I love my friends who came to be with me. At this tough time. Why? Because we pray. We lift one another up. I'm not saying you guys don't pray. I'm not saying you don't love me. But I got some friends that'll call me. I got some friends that'll say, hey, what you doing then? Matter of fact, keep on doing it because we about to pray. And not only that, we're going to believe God. But what it is, he came. He blessed us. And we give God all the praises. He became sin for us. Since he became sin for us, he also became alienated from the Father. You may not understand that, but I hope that I can share it with you. Jesus had never been separated from the Father. Alienated means something else. Alienation is an act of isolation or separation. As Jesus was made sin for you and me, separation from the Father took place as he looked upon himself, took upon himself the sins of the world out on Calvary. Y'all remember in Scripture, you that read the word? You remember that it turned dark? The whole world was dark. No light. But we know that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But at that moment, there was no light. And he felt the separation from himself and the Father. Oh, what a lonely feeling that would be if you've had that kind of separation in your life You're from your good friend or your mom, dad, or granddad, or whomever. It's horrible feeling that way. You feel like nobody's around you, no support. But Jesus had it all worked out. You see, as Jesus was made sin for you and me, separation from the Father took place as he looked upon himself, uh, taking on the sins of the world. You know, we're going to talk about the cup in a moment. He said the prospect of being separated from the Father was a horrifying experience, as Mark 15, 34 explains. And at that ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Mark also quotes those words from Psalm 22 and 1, where David, the king of Israel, expresses a painful sense of separation from God at a time of great trouble. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Jesus and David had the same thought in mind. Why? Because they were all attached to God, the Father. Never had the Father and the Son been separated. Not even for one moment until that day. But I'm glad it was all right for that day. I'm glad that my, my, my Savior is standing and sitting on the right hand of glory. He's already gone back to be with the Father. And I'm glad, I don't know about you, but the Bible tells me that not only is he sitting or standing in the right hand of God, that he's interceding on your behalf and my behalf. You know how the devil does it. The devil, if he could and would and could, he will accuse you right in front of God. Or if you remember Job, Joe, he did the same thing for Job. But you see, when the enemy tries to tap, wide tap you and mess you up, and he'll probably go to God and say, see, what kind of people are these? And I can see Jesus like in a courtroom, like, like the council will set up and say, uh, your witness. He wouldn't have any questions for the witness. Your witness. Or he might get up and say, saved by the blood. How many of you saved by the blood? You see, in this instance, obedience to the will of the Father is paramount because of what's at stake. What's at stake? Our deliverance is at stake. Our salvation is at stake. Our salvation from the presence and the power of sin is at stake. Even though Jesus gets to the cross, he experiences this isolation and separation from the Father. But no more. You know, when the, when the servants of the Lord are being mistreated down here, I can only imagine that Jesus stands up. When he stands up, he does not get no exercise. Why are you standing up? He's about to do something. You can't mistreat God's servant. And I'm glad he stands up. But not only that, he, has, he was obedient to the Father. Not only was he alienated, he's obedient. But you know, friends, God wants us to be obedient too. Not only to the Father, but I know some of you are going to say, this is Easter, and pastor ought not be saying that. Well, I'm the pastor, and I'm going to say it. You ought to be obedient to your pastor. Why? Because God placed me in that position. I didn't look for it myself. You may not understand what may be going on. Pray about it. And after a while, God will give you leave that you'll know what's going on. Why is that important? You see, the enemy of God and God's people again will have you to think crazy things. And now you're against God's man who's trying to do what God won't done. And when you're doing that, I can see the Lord standing up. There may be some issues going on. Why is that important? Because it's not about me. Not about you. It's about him. And you know who else it's about? It's about people who don't know the Lord. How often in churches that people get so discouraged with the church and the people in the church that they just leave. And no forward an address. It's like that when Christ calls us to love one another, encourage one another, 
He did all of that on the cross so we can learn about him. He was obedient to the Father. I'm just saying, church, we ought to be obedient to the Lord as well as to the shepherd of the sheep that God has placed in your midst. Because God will get the glory. And I want you to know that was not in my notes. He went a little farther and fell on the ground, Jesus did, and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass. The hour is the moment that he's going to go to Calvary. And he said, Abba, Father, a tender expression, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Imagine if you can, Jesus walking about and praying as he tried to come to grips with his upcoming crucifixion, his upcoming death. The disciples were to watch and pray, and it appeared that nothing helped. In Jesus' day, standing was the usual posture for prayer, with hands lifted heavenward. But when one is prostrated in prayer, it indicated extreme spiritual anguish. Sometimes it can't seem that the prayer is working if you're just standing up. It don't seem like it's working if you're down on one knee. It may seem to work a little bit more when you're down on two knees. But all when you lay prostrate before God and be calling on that name, things begin to turn. You see, this was the case for the Lord Jesus. So he fell, fell to the ground a second time, asking the Father to remove this hour, not in a moment of, of, of desperation, but in a moment of inspiration. He uttered, Abba, Father, referring to their intense relationship. Take this cup from me. You may be wondering, what was in the cup? I'm glad you asked. What is this cup? It is a cup of suffering. This cup which Jesus would drink from in the not-so-distant future is the cup of God's judgment for the sins of the whole world. In other words, all of our sins was in the cup. Somebody's sins was in the cup. All of those that didn't know Jesus, their sins were in the cup. And the Lord saw it and didn't want to drink it. But he knew that's why he came, so he did and at the end of verse 36, Jesus seemed to be at peace, or rather, he resigned himself to the will of the Father. You know, that's peace that comes when we resign ourselves to the will of the Father. Oftentimes, we don't want to do that because we think we still got power to make things happen. But dear friends, when we're like that, to turn it over to Jesus. Turn it over to him right away. You may not understand what's happening. You may feel like he's never going to ask. But I want you to know that I may have doubts. But I'll do like those in the scripture. Lord, help thine my unbelief. Because I believe that you can do anything but fail. I believe you're going to come and work out my situation. I believe you're going to work it out in my life. I believe though I don't feel it, I don't see it, I don't know it. But I believe that you're going to do it. And I thank you for it. In the name of Jesus. Philippians 2, 8 says this in part. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. Think about that for a moment. Here is Christ the Lord. He's the God-man, 100% God, 100% man. 
And he's walking on this earth like we're walking today. He's in this human thing. He took on a body that looked like us because we weren't able to see him as God. As a matter of fact, if we did see him, we wouldn't, wouldn't live. And so so he, he's there. And he humbled. This is the, Jesus is God. He is God. And he humbled himself under the Father. Why can't we humble ourselves before the Lord? He humbled himself, and then this is what he says, and became obedient to the point of death. In other words, he became obedient at that moment, even through the time he was crucified, and he died. He, he, was, he, he, he was crucified, yet he's still humble. Remember, he didn't say, a, the scripture said he didn't say anything. He didn't say a mumbling word. Had it been us on the cross? <laughs> I, I think he got that. Had it been us on the cross? Oh, Jesus. Help, Lord. Can't take it no more. He humbled himself to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Always Jesus was obedient to the Father. And as you conclude your prayers, it may be wise to end it with, not as I will, but thy will be done. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter and Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? And this is literally an hour. Watch and pray and lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, our fallen human nature, even that after conversion, wars against the work of Almighty God. Let, let me get that again. You see, every one of us born with the old nature, we call it old nature because the Bible says old things have passed away and behold, all things have become new. We had an old nature. Some people preach that the old nature is gone. I'm going to tell you what Jim Carrey says. Lie, lie, pants on fire. You know why I say that? Let me give you some evidence. Somebody make you mad in church? You have to hold yourself before you tell them all. You try to say it, and Lord, I love this part. I'm just telling you in love. Well, if you're telling me in love, I don't think I want it of that. You see, the old nature's there. The scripture even talks about it. There's a war between the old nature and the new nature of God in us. That is a total war. Sometimes you want to go to church, but your old nature said, no, you don't. You know, it's, you're thinking about rain, so don't go. The old nature said, you need to love your brother. Well, I'm not going to be like that. I'm, I'm just going to tell him what I feel because that's what I feel. Where's the new nature at? That's a whole other sermon. I just want to get you ready for it. Our old fallen nature, even after conversion, uh, wars against the work of the Holy Almighty God. And it wars against us. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And then he came in verse 41, the third time, and said to them, 
Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let us be going. See, my betrayer is here. Gethsemane, the garden, prepared him to finish what the Father desired. What did he desire? He desired us to become sin, Jesus to become sin for us. And because of that, he was separated from the Father. The Father cannot look upon sin. The Father is holy. Don't get it mixed up. Jesus is holy too. But he's down here at that time. And he was working down here. Though he is God. But when God does, cannot look upon sin, there has to be someone else that he can look upon instead of sin. So when God the Father look at us, he doesn't see us and our sin. What he sees is Jesus, the Holy One, the only one of the Father who is holy and mighty and awesome that the Father can lay eyes on. Are you with me so far? So don't think you all that in two bags of chips. God looks at us through Christ the Lord. I don't care how good you thought you were, how good you might be. God looks at us through the Holy Son so that he can bless us. I pray that you got that. Jesus' life on earth and his death on the cross was an act of love. It's an act of love. I couldn't understand. I probably don't understand as much as I'd like to. And probably neither do you. But it was an act of love for you and for me. It was not that we love God. Oftentimes people said, I love the Lord. Well, maybe you do and maybe you don't. But John says in 1 John 4.10, but God loved us by sending his son Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. That's love. It was already preposition. That's love. And he loved her so much. And by this death on the cross, Jesus demonstrated how much he loved us. The apostle Paul wrote in Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still doing our thing at all 300 in the morning, he loved us. While we were still doing all the wrong things that we could think about, he still loved us. Some of you are still doing the same old things, but he still loves you. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. But what needs to happen if we are without Christ today? You need to believe that God raised him from the dead. You need to believe that God bless him. You got to believe that Jesus is the Savior and God raised him from the dead. And then you need to accept the sacrifice that he did. You may not understand how all that goes together. God just says, do it this way. Then we are saved. Some people walk in the door and they begin to take on a ministry. But they don't know Jesus from nobody. And they wonder why their lives are in shambles. It's in shambles because... We didn't do it the way God would have it done. My friends, let me get to this part. If you, online and even in, in the sanctuary, if you are unsaved this morning, I beg of you to come.
and ask Jesus to forgive you your sin. Thank you so much for your attendance and your support of the podcast. We do hope to see you again or hear you again or even talk to me again. And we love you. Thank you so much for tuning in. God bless you.